just start somewhere. What has most energy for you? What kind of most inspires you, but also kind of scares you at the same time? The heart of my work is the idea that we are born with a calling etched upon our heart. That idea of turning the grit into the pearl, you know, the suffering into some kind of joy or some kind of wisdom, that fascinates me. I think we often forget what we're capable of. I like to think of us as like a, a flower that keeps opening. You know, we keep discovering more of what we're capable of. I'm no stranger to depression. I'm no stranger to feeling low. I'm no stranger to suicidal thoughts even. When I left my corporate career just about 30 years ago to start my own business, I fell into a big black hole of depression. When we're in our victim mentality, certainly when I am, I feel like it's all happening to me. When I'm feeling creative, I feel like it's happening through me, not to me. Fuel your dreams, ignite your inspiration. Join us and feel at home here at Fearless Inspiration. He represents somebody who would have every reason to be angry, vengeful, vindictive for people that have done him and his people so much harm. And yet he has emerged from it all loving, you know, and kind and inspiring and funny. I like the idea that inspiration, that realm, is looking for what I call willing human collaborators. You know, you and me and people, you know, all of us. And it's kind of prompting us saying, you know, we'd like this to exist in the world. Would you make it exist in the world? You can't shut off the risk and the pain without losing the love that remains. And today's guest is Nick Williams, a true expert on inspiration, quoted by people like Wayne Dyer and Deepak Chopra as being an inspired teacher. He's an author of several books, including The Work We Were Born To Do. Can you tell me about something that you're both good at and you just love doing that drips out of you, a kind of passion? Well, communicating in its broadest sense. So, you know, having conversations like this. I just love them. Writing I love, coaching I love, speaking I love. So what just tumbles out of me is to be a communicator for sure. That's brilliant. No, thanks for that. So I've done a bit of research and I'm actually halfway through one of your books which is really affecting me so I, I just want to read a couple of lines out of that before we, we get going the ones that really moved me is show up and show up before you're ready you're playing small doesn't serve the world when it comes up to showing up authentically in the world it's a level playing field and put yourself in the presence of influences that nourish your creativity that really really has uh, has helped me so i'll start with is there a person in mind who was your biggest inspiration and and hero and why there's hundreds but i I guess one who has a particular place in my heart because i did actually get to meet him about eight or nine years ago was desmond tutu archbishop desmond tutu i'm reading something called the book of joy at the moment i don't know if you've heard of it but it's a book by the by the dalai lama and desmond tutu and i'm just loving it it's one of those books that i don't want to finish because, you know, <laughs> I'm reading smaller and smaller bits of it every day to make it last as long as possible. But I, I think what I, you know, one of the things that really inspires me is people that have turned their pain and suffering into a gift for other people. And to me, he represents somebody who would have every reason to be angry, vengeful, vindictive for people that have done him and his people so much harm. And yet he has emerged from it all loving, you know, and kind and inspiring and funny. And I think that's because he teaches and practices forgiveness. So I think that's one of the things that really inspires me is people that practice forgiveness. Great. That's really good. And actually, I've 
read the book that inspired this podcast, which is called Great Peacemakers. There's a section on Desmond Tutu in that, and I read, and yeah, that is yeah very inspiring stuff. I think agree with that. Now, this wealth of resources that you've put out there for people wanting to become more inspired, what inspired you to do that? Well, as I said, I love communicating, but I think even more than loving communicating, and, and I hope being you know reasonably good at it, it feels like my calling. You know, the, the heart of my work is the idea that we are born with a calling etched upon our heart. I love that idea that, you know, we don't arrive here as blank slates. We arrive here kind of pre-programmed in some way. Yes. You know, like a sunflower seed is programmed to become a sunflower plant and a, and a, a beautiful flower. So I'm calling to be a communicator. So to some extent, every which way I can get inspiring ideas and messages out into the world, I'll do it. So that's writing books, it's giving talks, it's coaching people, it's doing podcasts, it's doing little videos myself and putting them out on social media, writing little articles. Just feels like that's what I'm here to do is to uplift people, basically, you know, and that feels like my job. And, and within that space, have you got any current main projects going on? Loads. Yeah, the major one that I'm kind of incubating, and I'm kind of doing it already, but I, I'm going to create, I think, a program around it and probably be book number 19. I've written 18 now, and this will probably be the 19th one. Is about passing on the wisdom of our lived experience. You know, my belief is that everybody has value in their lived experience. Yes. And often we find it hard to know what the wisdom is in what we've been through, whether we've been successful, whether we've had difficulties. I think there's wisdom in all of that. So the project is around helping people recognize the value and then articulate and share the wisdom of their own lived experience. Because I, I think, well, if, if all the wisdom of everybody on the planet were unleashed now, you know, we would make such a difference. Yes. And, you know, sadly, it seems like, you know, as I'm getting older now, that we tend not to value people as they get older. Whereas in other cultures and in other times in history, as we got older, we assumed that people had wisdom that they would pass on. So for me, it's not just about age. You know, I'm coaching somebody at the moment who's only 25, but he's kind of recovering from addictions. And he is already kind of helping people younger than him deal with addiction problems. So for me, it's not a function of age. It's a function of experience, lived experience, and then turning that into wisdom and sharing it with other people. So that's my next big project. Well, that's beautiful because you can even, like you say, help maybe an older segment as well of the population mm. to, to have more value, you know, and some of them have plenty of value, but some, yeah, may, may certainly in the lockdown be a bit lower on, on self-esteem. No, that, that's you know, and I see, you know, to me, it's all relative. It's not kind of absolute. You know, I see so many younger people struggling to kind of have the guidance and wisdom of older people, even if they're only a couple of years older. Um, or they could be decades old, you know. I, I just think there's such a, you know, a beautiful thing that can happen when people with wisdom impart some of that to people who could do with that wisdom. And there's just a, an exchange that happens. That's a real beautiful thing. Yeah, thank you for that. Now, can you think of a time when you're at a bit of a low ebb or you're in the middle of a challenge when either you managed to inspire yourself out or somebody else has inspired you? Yeah. Well, you know, dozens, hundreds, you know, and for me, inspiration isn't always about being up, you know, sometimes I'm no stranger to depression, I'm no stranger to feeling low, I'm no stranger to suicidal thoughts, even, you know, I don't know if you know my story, but when I left my corporate career just about 30 years ago to start my own business, 
I fell into a big black hole of depression. And, you know, I, I really wasn't sure whether I was even going to do it. But, but somehow, you know, like I just said to you, I felt it was my calling. And, and I felt there was this, you know, I, I do believe that all of us have this inner voice. So my inner voice just said, you know, whatever pain you're going through, whatever difficulty you're going through, in a way, this is all grist for the mill. You know, what you're going through now, you're going to be able to help other people go through in the future. So part of my inspiration is going through, if you like, dark nights of the soul, but then being able to help other people go through their dark nights of the soul. So it is about, you know, transforming something in my life. That's what inspires me is take some challenge in my life, begin to transform it and then help other people transform it too. That is so beautiful. Just to look at challenges, as I've never even thought about looking at challenges as opportunities to, to take on the learning to help other people in the future. That is, wow, that is a, a powerful one. Thank you. You know, I know I'm not the only person that thinks like that, but, I, you know, it's that idea of turning the grit into the pearl, you know, the suffering into some kind of joy or some kind of wisdom. Yes. That fascinates me. You know, and, uh, you know, Desmond Tutu or, uh, you know, or the Dalai Lama, because they have suffered a lot in their own lives and they want to help reduce the suffering of other people. So that's one of the things that really inspires me. Don't worry, I've made notes of today's top 10 hits of inspiration. Hang on to the end to hear the summary. And you mentioned this little voice, this calling that we, many of us, or all of us probably have. Can you tell us a little bit more about complicated subject maybe but just for people who are are wanting to tap into that a little bit more or maybe not giving it much time maybe or any guidance sure so yes i think we all have that inner voice and some people might call it intuition some people might call it hunches you know and i call it inspiration so so my take on inspiration and i'm not saying this is the, the absolute truth but it's how i in a way choose to think about it because it feels most comfortable for me is there is a another realm of consciousness, if you like, where all ideas exist in the form of potential, but they don't yet exist in this world. And I don't know if this is true or not, but what I think happens is I like the idea that inspiration, that realm, is looking for what I call willing human collaborators, you know, you and me and people, you know, all of us. Yes. And it's kind of prompting us saying, you know, we'd like this to exist in the world. Would you make it exist in the world? And some of us listen to that and some of us are too busy to listen to it. And some of us listen to it and get really scared and then go into resistance, which I know we're probably going to touch on in a moment as well. So, you know, certainly with my first book and many of my books, I feel like inspiration was kind of tapping me on the shoulder going, we'd love this idea to exist in the world. Would you make it exist in the world? And generally, you know, I hit a lot of resistance and and stuff as well. But generally, I think to bring something into existence in the world, to be a creator, is one of the most joyful things we can do. Yes. And and I think it's joyful for us personally. But what I also recognize having, you know, my first book came out 22 years ago now. Even, you know, this week, I've spoken to people, I had emails from people that read that book that went, it just spoke to me so deep. So I think... When we listen to inspiration and we bring something into the world, it's for us, but it's also for other people. It's a gift for other people. So I know I loved writing that book and it's given me a great living for the last 20 years. And I know I brought it into the world for other people to get those messages. I didn't just do it for me. For me, it allows the permission to give that voice, little inner voice, flight. I would just read, you didn't arrive here as a blank slate, but as a highly individuated and developed soul with a calling etched upon your heart 
to enact and a cell in embryo to become. You come bearing unique gifts and your gifts are the answer to some people's problems. Well, yeah, that is great. So thank you. Yeah, thanks for that. Now, so for people who may have a lower self-belief at the minute and forgotten how amazing they are, forgotten how to wave their flag, other than what we've already mentioned here, anything else you can think that it's worth worth them planting in their mind? Yeah, well, you just kind of alluded to it. But, you know, I think what happens for most of us is when we hear that voice of inspiration, most people, unless you're, you know, generally, unless you, you're some kind of creative person that's got a great relationship with that voice, most of us go into some kind of resistance. You know, we listen to the voice like, you know, when my voice was saying to me, you know, leave your corporate career and start your own business. Part of me was inspired and part of me is utterly terrified. So understand that it is an ongoing journey, as you just said, in a way, to build our self-belief, to build our sense of confidence. You know, I think that voice of inspiration is what we're capable of. I think we often forget what we're capable of. You know, you know, um, and I think we can easily think we're deluded. You know, if somebody had said to me, literally, like 30 years ago when I was in my corporate career, if they said to me, Nick, you know, in 30 years' time, you'll have written 18 books and you'll have travelled around the world and you'll be coaching leaders in their field, part of me would go, you're deluded, you're crazy. I could never do that. So I like to think of us as like a, a flower that keeps opening. You know, we keep discovering more of what we're capable of. You know, if somebody had said that to me, I would have dismissed it. I would have had 100% trouble believing it. I just couldn't believe it. But now I know it's true. But the opening up to believe that I was capable of that has been obviously part of, partly has been a maturing process over the last 30 years. But also it's just building up my self-belief and building up my self-confidence. And, you know, the other way around, I would say, is kind of dissolving more of my fear and dissolving more of my own resistance to it. So I can you know, a clearer channel. So when I get an inspired idea, I can just make it happen more quickly and with less friction. And, and this idea you wrote, that actually the bigger your resistance, maybe it's the bigger your actual creative power that blocks. And yeah. to have that reverse relationship with it, because, yeah, I seem to resist a fair bit. And to actually see, I mean, it may not all, it's not necessarily black and white, but to at least, it takes the edge off it to look at it and think, oh, actually, this just might be that thing that's in proportion to my creative power. And it makes a more helpful view of, of the, the stuff that's going on inside me that doesn't necessarily yeah. love. <laughs> I love it. I, lo I love it. Yes, you're right. You know, that's how I see it. And, you know, the way I would describe it is, you know, I think we all have an incredible access to creative energy if you like, you know, there's a, I don't know what you would call it, like a, a spiritual electric socket that we're all plugged into. I don't know that any of us are more plugged into it than anybody else. I think some people have freed themselves to be an expression of it. I think what happens is we either can express that creativity in a clean and straight way by, you know, writing books or making art or gardening or being a parent, whatever it is that we're here to do. But I think what happens for many of us is we take that creative energy and we turn it into excuses. We turn it into fears. We turn it into reasons why we can't do it. So it's almost like that's exactly what you were saying. Our, our creativity almost goes into being creative by stopping our creativity. <laughs> that makes sense. It's, yeah. it's like it becomes a, you know. Yeah, I see the creativity gets, yeah. Yeah, we turn our creativity. Negativity gets hold of the creativity. I see what you're saying. Uh, yeah, and we use our creative energy to feed our fear rather than express our 
creativity. Yes, that, yeah. And there's two points I want to pick up out of that. Firstly, creativity doesn't mean you've got to be an artist of the Sistine Chapel or some amazing best-selling author. You know, it can be, bring creativity to a small windowsill garden arrangement, to how you approach raising your children. Or there's, you can, yeah, it's not limited. You can be creative in lots of ways, can't you? Yeah, you know, I, the way I've come to think of it is like, in a way, creativity is simply the way that we express the essence of who we are. And we can express that onto any canvas, if you like. So, you know, as you were talking, I was just reminded of a, a good friend of mine. You know, the way she held a dinner party was one of the most creative things. She, she just made it so beautiful. You know, even in her tiny flat, I remember it being like a work of art. You know, I would so look forward to it. It would make, you know, just be a beautiful evening because I knew she would bring beauty to the food and the way she served it and the conversation. So, yeah, anything can be creative. A question that I'm going to ask myself from what you've just said, it's where is your beauty? You know, because that beauty might have been your dinner party and it might have been your dreaming what how to design ships and yachts, which maybe is one of mine, or it might be your beauty in, yeah, how, well, it could be anything, yeah. And then the other one, just before I forget, was I'd just last week was looking at this. I googled the opposite to victim mindset, what the word is for the op- opposite to being, a, you know, somebody who thinks they're a victim of life or a victim of this or a victim of, of the other, which isn't necessarily a, the best. Well, you know, it, it's not an optimum state, really. And but the, the answer that came up was creator. So the opposite to victim is creator. And it's like, oh, my word, that is so beautiful. Yeah, so it all links into what, what you said. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, because in a, in a way, when we're in our victim mentality, certainly when I am, I feel like it's all happening to me. Yeah. When I'm feeling creative, I feel like it's happening through me, not to me. Yeah. Now, I really like these the positive emotions, like kindness and gratitude and optimism and things like that. How would you see that they link into to inspiration? Anything you can comment on around that? Yeah, I think we sometimes have a belief that inspiration's got to be a dramatic thing. It's got to be a huge thing. And I think sometimes inspiration is simply in the small stuff. As you say, it's in the kindness. It's in the way you know somebody is tender to you. We had a cat move in with us three and a half years ago. To me, inspiration is just watching him sometimes, you know. I just feel blessed that this this other living being walked in our back door and has stayed with us for three and a half years. And to me, I we just I love him and if I find him inspiring. And you may know I ran something or I was involved with something called Alternatives for many years, which was a mind, body, spirit lecture series. So, you know, it's very blessed that I got to meet, you know, some of the thought leaders from around the world in, in spirituality and creativity and personal growth. And I love doing it. And, you know, towards the end of it, I started thinking to myself, how do I measure how inspiring or spiritual somebody is? You know, what's my criteria? And I, at the end of the day, I, I think I brought it down to how kind are they? You know, I'm not saying anybody can do it, but somebody can stand on the stage and be for an hour, hour and a half. But my question was more like, well, what were they like when they came through the door at the beginning? Were they kind to me? Were they kind to the volunteers? Were they kind to the audience members? You know, when it was over, did they stay? Did they chat? Did they sign books? You know, so for me, it was less about, you know, the big thing they were doing. It was more around the small stuff around it that I not judged, but just felt their their essence, if you like. Yes, that's nice. And you mentioned you feel it's your calling through the relationships and, you know, communicating with people. And 
quite a lot of books you read seem to say that serving others and feeling part of a community are great for your mental health, but also giving you a, a mm. sense of meaning. And anything you can comment on relation to, I mean, obviously that inspires you, but just generally for people, how that can inspire them. Yeah, well, as I said, I'm, you know, I'm eking out the Book of Joy by the Dalai Lama and, you know, Desmond Tutu. And one of the things it says right at the beginning is, you know, for most people, their greatest joy is in doing good for others. Both the Dalai Lama and, and Desmond Tutu agree on that, that the greatest joy comes from doing good for others. So I'm a great believer that we can look for and both create opportunities to do good for others. And I think one of the, the myths or one of the beliefs that I've spent you know, a couple of decades trying to bust in a way is that our work is something we do for money. And doing good for others is something we do as a hobby or we don't get paid for. Uh, so a lot of my work has been around the idea that it's okay that your work or your business be about doing good for others and you can be paid for it. I think a lot of people think by definition, if you're doing good for others, you mustn't be paid for it. Right. That's powerful. Yeah, because if you're doing your calling, you're not normally more successful, I believe. And, you know, the money is likely to come in anyway. Because if you can yeah. find it helping others, it's like a win-win-win. Yeah, but something for many years, and I wrote about it, you know, over 20 years ago in the work we were born to do, was I called it the Protestant work ethic. And it is the idea that by nature, it's only work if you're suffering and struggling and martyring yourself. And if you're not enjoying it, and, and part of the ethic I've been talking about for 25 years really is, you know, work, work can be joy. Work can be something you love. Work can be an expression of the best of you. And, uh, you know, I, I know I've had a bit of influence in helping a lot of people change their minds about that. And that's what I hope to continue to do, that more of us can think of our work as a, as a kind of ministry, if you like, you know, even if we're not either Christian or even spiritual. But our work can be the way that we do some good in the world and we can get paid for it. Wouldn't it be lovely if everybody's work was a way of doing good in the world? Yes. Or they saw it that way rather than just, well, I've got to do this because it's the only way I can earn money. Yeah. So if people have managed to get, you know, tapped into that voice or they, they already know that or um, they've got together some motivation for, for how they might want to move forward, do you have any tips for transforming that kind of bank of inspiration into practical action? For me, one would be starting to believe that you can, and that's something I'm learning at the minute. But any, would you like to add to that? Yeah, well, it's a great question because I think a lot of people can get caught up in the kind of all or nothing kind of scenario. It's like, I've got to do everything or I'll end up doing nothing. So I'm a great believer in just taking baby steps, you know, of taking a little step consistently or little steps consistently in the direction of inspiration, in the direction of our dreams. So, you know, when I look back on my last, you know, 30 years of, of my life, you know, it's just been baby step after baby step after baby step. And I think what then happens is they become cumulative. And then the more baby steps you make, then you have kind of big breakthroughs. But even, for example, even when I became an author 22 years ago, that was massive, you know, to become a published author was big for me. And in a way, it was just the beginning of a whole new journey. So I don't think taking baby steps and taking small steps ever ends. I think that's what life is, really. You know, even at the age of two now I still feel like taking baby new directions but I'm doing it on much more solid foundations and with a lot more experience behind me but I'm still pioneering in new ways into new areas so you know the, the big idea is take baby steps take action 
begin to, to make things happen, but just do that consistently over and over and over again. And as long as you keep doing it consistently in the face of setbacks and knockbacks and disappointments or indifference, if you keep going or when you keep going, you will make things happen. Can you tell us a little bit more about that first book coming to fruition? Because probably that sounds like it was a reasonable hurdle from where you were in life before. Is there any key points or highs or lows or how you felt when it happened that you can give us on that? Well, as I said, I do, I do feel like writing that book particularly was part of my calling, you know. It's like, but I, I, was, I was surprised, if I was honest, because, you know, I obviously hadn't even, I hadn't written a book and I didn't know how to write a book, you know. So again, I, I think a lot of people think, well, I'm not a writer. You know, when I wrote that book, I wasn't a writer. <laughs> I became a writer by writing the book. And I think, you know, again, you know, for people watching or listening to this, it's like you're never the finished article to start with. So, yeah, you know, I just started writing and I put some ideas on paper and then I began to put them into some kind of structure. But I was kind of doing that for myself. And then eventually, you know, I had the courage to show some of it to a couple of publishers. And, you know, it really just knocked me for six when one of them said to me, yeah, we'd like to publish this. Now, you know, I'll also say, you know, it wasn't like I'd never done anything on the subject. I had begun to give talks on the subject. I had begun to do coaching on the subject. So I did have some experience, but my experience was not as a writer. My experience was as a speaker and a coach. So I think, you know, especially in the realm of, you know, personal growth, the best books come from people who've already got some experience in that area. And what they're doing is distilling their experience into that book. I've talked to a number of people who said, well, I want to write a book so that I can start a career. And I kind of go, well, it could work, but I'm, I'm not sure that it's going to work because you know, where's your accumulated wisdom that you're going to put into the book? You know, you don't know this area well enough really to write a book about it yet. So I do encourage people to get a few years of experience behind them before they start writing a book. Um, But yeah, you know, it was a a delightful surprise when people enjoyed what I wrote and found a resonance in it. I'll just share one very quick story. But, you know, I, I think a very, a few months after the book came out, I'd been invited to go and give a talk in Sheffield. I remember this so clearly. Somebody came up to me at this talk and they had a copy of my book and it was full of stick it notes, you know, yellow sticking out of it. And my immediate reaction was, she's going to tell me all the things she disagrees with or the things that misspell or typos. That was my immediate reaction. And then she said to me, you know, these are all the pages where you said something that so struck with me, you know, and resonated with me. And then I nearly cried because it was that first kind of tangible experience of somebody showing me all the things that I'd said that had resonated with them. And it made my heart go, wow. And that was the first real experience I'd had of that as an author. But it made me realize that this is something we can all do for each other, is when we can clearly articulate something, we often do other people a favor because they're vaguely feeling what we've managed to articulate. And when we articulate it, it helps them understand what they're feeling. Right. Or what that impulse is. Yeah, this idea of keeping some of the stuff inside might actually be a, doing people a disservice. It, it, that is, yeah. to me, such a, a new way of looking at it, but it's powerful. And the other mm. one I'm taking from that is, wow, every writer ever in the world at some point wasn't a writer <laughs> before <laughs> their first book. So yeah. even the most prolific writer in the world was not a writer. So. No, you know, they may have started young, but, you know, 
And it, it's a greatly, you know, for me, that's a wonderfully leveling thought that everybody who's good at anything had once never even done it and wasn't good at it. Yeah. So, you know, it's never too late to start doing something. I didn't start writing until I was 38. Right. If people get a bit between the heads sometimes or overexcited and there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, any advice on, on keeping a balance between being keeping a bit grounded and with the powerful inspiration? Yeah. I think when you're inspired, yes, you, you know, you can go off into kind of other realms. I think one of the, the big things I've often ex- experienced, and I've heard a, a lot of people say this, is often we get kind of almost too inspired. It's like we get too many ideas. And I think, again, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's wonderful. And I think then our resistance can get hold of that and stop us kind of prioritizing things. So we kind of go, well, I've got so many ideas, I don't know where to start. So we don't start. Yes. But I think that is, in a way, is a form of resistance. So what I always say to people is, well, just start somewhere. And usually the somewhere is the thing that's, that you know, the language I use is what has most energy for you, what kind of most inspires you, but also kind of scares you at the same time. Because, you know, like we were saying earlier, you were saying, you know, it's got energy there, even if the energy is a bit blocked through fear or anxiety, if there's energy there, you know, and looking back on it, everything that I do today that I do successfully, writing, speaking, coaching, broadcasting, all the things I do, I have had a level of resistance to doing them from mild to really chronic at times. So I can now kind of say with authority, I truly believe that what we resist, we often have a gift for. You know, that's powerful for me. Yeah, definitely. Because it's too many. So don't do anything. It's, yeah, that's very helpful. Thank you. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so move into your fear, move in the direction of your fear and resistance. And now it's time for Quickfire Inspiration. So we're getting a little bit closer towards the end now. So I've got some Quickfire Inspiration questions. So it's five different areas. So it can be a one-word answer or, or you can explain a little bit more. So your most inspiring film or one of your most inspiring films? A film called Tuesdays with Maury. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's one of my favourites. How do you spell Maury? M-O-R-R-I-E. It was Jack Lemon and Hank, somebody, I've forgotten his name. But uh, yeah, it's just beautiful about the relationship between an older man and a younger man as the older man's, you know, moving towards death and just the friendship and the healing is just so beautiful. Okay, thanks. Your most inspiring aspect of nature? Springtime, I think. The whole idea of renewal. I've got daffodils on my desk here as I speak to you. And, you know, daffodils to me are, you know, spring is on its way. And I love spring and new beginnings and renewal. Your most inspiring aspect of design or style? I guess I, I don't have iMacs, but I've loved my iPhones for a long time. So I think something about Apple and design, you know, they've got something really right. Your most inspiring song to maybe sing with friends around a campfire or that you might just sing with your hairbrush? I don't know what really gets your juices going. I like Bruce Springsteen, and one of my favourite songs of his is one of his lesser-known songs, but it's called Human Touch. Okay. It's a lovely song. One of the lines is something like, you can't shut off the risk and the pain without losing the love that remains. And I just kind of go, wow, what a great line. You can't shut out the risk and the pain without losing the love that remains. So Human Touch by Bruce Springsteen. Did you see those, I can't remember the name of the film, a very inspiring film about a couple of teenage lads that were supporters of Bruce Springsteen. It was a year or two ago. It was, it was a bit of a, I don't know if it was, I think it was basically. Yeah, Blinded by the Light, I yes. think it's called. I haven't seen it. 
I imagine that song was probably one of them in it. Yeah, so I couldn't help mentioning that because it really is quite inspiring in, in an unusual way. So, uh, and then the last of the quick fires is most inspiring aspect of travel, either a place or a mode of travel or something like that. The place I've liked for its natural beauty that I've travelled to has been Hawaii. Uh, I went to both Maui and Kauai, and I just love the natural beauty. The places I've actually been to work that I found most inspiring is I, I've been to Cape Town about six or eight times to work over the years and given talks. And as a natural environment with Table Mountain and the sea and the sunshine, oh, I love it. Absolutely. And what is the next book you're going to read? I'm just going to read it out. It arrived today and it's called The Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday. Uh, no, I had it recommended and the subtitle is The Art of Making and Marketing Work That Lasts. And the very last question is, what is most right in the world? The human heart, people's love and people's kindness. And again, I love what you know, the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu say that, you know, basically people are good. We just learn to be nasty and horrible to each other. So what's most right is the human heart. Beautiful way, way to end. If people want to get in touch or read, get any of your resources, can you tell us the best way to do that? Sure. So my website is iamnickwilliams.com. Um, I always love to hear from anybody. So please, you know, feel, don't feel reticent. Get in touch. Drop me a line, nick at iamnickwilliams.com. I always re- reply. There's lots of free resources. You'll also find me on LinkedIn, uh, where I, put, I post every day. You'll find me on Facebook. I think I'm on Instagram and Twitter as well. But, uh, you know, best places to sign up and Right at the beginning, I've just launched in the last couple of weeks a, a kind of mar- a free masterclass on my website about you know having your most powerful relationship with inspiration. So if people go to the homepage of my website, you just put your email address in, you can sign up for that. I think it's a very valuable and useful course about this very subject that we just spent you know forty five minutes talking about. Yeah, no, thank you. Well, thank you for your time and thanks for inspiring me and lots of other people. And yeah, hope to catch up with you at some point again in the future. Bless you, and thank you for doing this, and thank you for bringing a bit more inspiration into the world. We need that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Amazing. Nick is so wise from his lifetime work on inspiration. Here are my top 10 hits of inspiration from him today. 1. Love communication in all its forms. Conversation, writing, speaking, coaching. 2. Turn pain and suffering and what you learn through this into a gift for other people. What you're going through, difficulties, may be grist for the mill to help other people through the same. Three, practice and teach forgiveness. Four, we may all be born with a calling etched upon our hearts. Whatever it is, get it out there in any way you can. What are you called to do? Five, pass on the value of your lived experience. Everybody has it. Recognize its value. If all the wisdom of all the planet were unleashed now, it would make such a difference. Often people are vaguely feeling something similar to you, and if you can articulate it clearly, it can help them understand. 6. Value people as they get older. 7. Be a willing collaborator for the unbirthed ideas that want to exist in the world. Listen to that little voice inside you. You come bearing unique gifts. And your gifts are the answers to some of the people's problems. 8. It is an ongoing journey to build our confidence and self-belief. We often forget what we're capable of. Be a flower that keeps opening 
discovering more of what we're capable of. Open up to the belief that you are capable. 9. Dissolve your fear and resistance so you can become a clearer channel. Don't turn the creative urge into reasons we can't do it. Express your creativity onto any canvas. 10. Don't be a victim. Be a creator. With the victim mindset, you think things are happening to you. But with the creator mindset, things are happening through me. 11. Find inspiration in the small things, like your pet cat. 12. The greatest joy comes from doing good for others. Look and create opportunities for this. Also, don't believe that work is for money and doing good for others is something totally separate. 13. Work can be joy. Be something you love and be the expression of the best of you. 14. Take little baby steps consistently in the direction of your inspiration and dreams. This builds a cumulative effect which may lead to bigger breakthroughs. It never ends. Keep going through setbacks. 15. Never stop pioneering into new areas. 16. Don't let resistance get hold of your wave of ideas and say, I can't prioritize these. I can't start. Just start somewhere. What has the most energy for you but scares you at the same time? 17. Move in the direction of your fear and resistance. And finally, 18. Summary of the points from Nick's book I made. Show up and show up before you're ready. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. It's a level playing field when it comes to showing up authentically and put yourself in the presence of influencers that nourish your creativity. Thank you everyone for listening today. Your kind attention is really appreciated and valued. If you feel some inspiration from today's episode, please share it. As I aim to build a bank of both inspiration and stories of events that inspired close connection between groups of people. If you have something to share in this space, please either share them in the comments or send me an email at ian, spelt I-A-I-N, at fearlessinspiration.one. Watch out for the next two episodes where we'll be speaking to Simon Zucci, experienced investor, successful entrepreneur and best-selling author, also recognized as one of the top wealth creation strategists in the UK. He also founded the Property Investors Network, which has become the largest property network organization in the UK. And he has launched the Crowd Property crowdfunding platform. And Elizabeth Villager Tufexis, avid traveler who helps us fall in love with the world, author of The Soul Kit, First Aid for the Soul, and host of the Most Memorable Journeys podcast. Thanks again. Look forward to seeing you next week for another boost of inspiration. Thanks to Ben Sound for the music.